are briefly looking together now at this second talk at Hebrews chapter 13, and I want us to begin in verse 7 and read down to verse 14. If you have a copy of scripture, I know that you're going to find it helpful to have that open and to be reading along with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, and by the way, I stole Harry's Bible, so he has to use a phone now, which I don't know what that says about me, but we're using Harry's Bible. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 7, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to a church that has suffered extreme persecution, even to the point of having their property taken from them. They didn't have all the privileges that we have, uh, even to be in a building like this. They had learned what it was to suffer for the name of Christ. And the apostle is strengthening them in the midst of the affliction that they are experiencing for following the Lord Jesus. He notes at one point that they had joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods, knowing that they had a better inheritance awaiting them. And now as he brings this letter to a close, and and the writer kind of focuses in in a very intentional way on the thing that he wants to leave this uh, suffering body of believers with, he now says this in verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not with foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent, that's the tabernacle, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, Harry has helpfully uh, noted this morning in his talk that we don't look back to the past to live in it, but we look back into the past to learn from it as we sit in this building and We reflect on the history and we think of those persecuted brethren who came from France fleeing that extreme persecution. By the way, over 100,000 Huguenots were massacred in the St. Bartholomew's Day massacre in France. And God, in his providence, moved them all over the world, some to Geneva and, as we've heard, some here to America. And as we reflect on their faithfulness and we reflect on the ministry of the Huguenots, and we reflect on the legacy that they've left us. We don't do that to sit back and simply admire a beautiful building in what is, in my humble but accurate opinion, the best city in the United States, but we do so to reflect the fact that God was doing something in them and through them that he has left as a monument to his work in order to encourage his people in going forward. Um, As I prepared for this weekend, I thought, well, we want to celebrate the past 50 years of Church Creek. We don't want to live in the past. We don't want to talk about them like they were the good old days. 
God has placed us here, and he has set our minds on eternity, and he has called us to look back and remember his goodness and faithfulness, to look in front of us at where he has us, and to look forward to that city that has foundations. And I want to just consider that here in Hebrews 13 very briefly, these three things that the writer of Hebrews is calling these believers to remember, to remain, and to refocus, to remember, remain, and refocus. Well, notice there in uh, chapter 13, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, we don't know who he's talking about. He is clearly talking about pastors they had had, and we don't know if these pastors had been martyred. Many Theologians and scholars believe that they had been martyred and that he is calling them to remember these men who had labored faithfully, who had not loved their lives even to the end in bringing the word of God to them. And he is telling them that one of the ways that they can persevere in the faith, one of the ways that they can endure the hardship that Christ has promised his people is to remember those that God has raised up to minister among them. Gerhardus Voss, the old professor of Princeton Seminary at the turn of the 20th century, said about this verse, The same grace that sustained those who preached unto you the word of God so that not only resignedly but joyfully and triumphantly they laid down their lives, that same grace stands at your disposal. So the writer of Hebrews is saying when we look back at the John Calvins, when we look back at the Bucers and the Zwingli's and the Luther's and that whole gambit of those men that we celebrate and remember, the point is not just to put them on pedestals and to say, look at them, look at what great things they did. It is to remember, as Voss said, that the same grace that sustained them in preaching is the same grace that stands at your disposal. Isn't that remarkable? Remember those who led you because the same grace they received is offered to you. And then he does really three things when he talks about these uh, ministers that they're to remember. He tells them first that they're to remember them for their faithfulness. Notice this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. It's not just because they were in a position of authority. It's not because they were just dynamic leaders or speakers. It's because they were faithful to the ministry of the word of God. He says, remember those who have led you, who have spoken the word of God to you. You know, I often wonder when we stand in historic buildings, many of which no longer proclaim the truth of God's word. At what point did that transition happen? That that church in that 80-some year period generally stopped being faithful to the scriptures. It happened somewhere. And what I think often happens is that the people have forgotten those who led them, who faithfully spoke the word of God to them. That the central thing that Christ wants in his church is the ministry of his word proclaimed faithfully. And the writer of Hebrews says, remember those who have done that. And then he tells us to remember their fruitfulness. Notice this, consider the outcome of their way of life, not only their public ministry, but the conduct of their lives. Remember how they lived in accord with the gospel. Remember how they walked uprightly. Remember how they sought 
uh, not to please themselves, but to pour themselves out in the service of the people of God. Think of the way the Apostle Paul, the great apostle, says, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember their faithfulness in the proclamation of the word. Remember the conduct of their lives. Remember their fruitfulness in Christian living. You know, continuance in true gospel faithfulness in the church is really built on those two things. Faithfulness to the truth of scripture and fruitfulness in Christian living. If those things are there, the writer of Hebrews says, as we look back, we learn that in keeping us chartered on the right course. And then he says, remember their focus, remember their faithfulness, remember their fruitfulness, remember their focus. Notice this. Now he says in verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. What are we to remember most of all when we look back at the faithful ministries of those God has appointed to preach in the history of his church? It is that they were looking to the same Christ to whom we're looking And that that Christ never changes. The focus of their ministry was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing to me when Paul writes Timothy in those pastoral letters and he says so many things the church needs to hear today. There is one little imperative that I've often thought was odd that Paul had to include in a letter to a minister. And it's this. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So of all the injunctions Paul gave to his young protege was don't forget to keep your focus on the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing. As we look back on them, as we remember them, as we honor them, because by the way, the danger is that new generation doesn't honor those who have been faithful. But as we look back and honor them, we see that their focus was on the Lord Jesus. It wasn't on buildings. It wasn't on the minister. Robert Murray McShane, the great old Scottish pastor, has this really marvelous meditation on Moses holding up the serpent in the wilderness. All the people had been bit by serpents. God said, erect the bronze serpent. Whoever looks at it will be healed. And McShane says, never did God tell the people to look at the pole on which the serpent was lifted up. And McShane says the ministers are merely the pole holding up the Lord Jesus crucified for the salvation of God's people. And the writer of Hebrews would say, look at him. What we remember about them is that they were looking at him. When my mom died, I asked my best friend, what what would I say? There are going to be a number of unbelievers in this church building who never sit under the ministry of the word. He said, I would say, I know what my mom would say to you right now if she was here. She would say, look at Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is going to make that the centerpiece. He'll say at the end of chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so the writer says, remember Remember your leaders, their faithfulness, their fruitfulness, and their focus. And then, notice he tells them, remain. In verses 9 and following, he says there's always a threat. And that threat oftentimes comes through the avenue of false teaching. He's saying, don't 
Don't allow yourself to be subject to be moved away from the grace of God in the gospel. That one of the chief reasons, and perhaps the chief reason, why churches do not continue faithful for more than 50 or 80 or sometimes 100 years is because the people allow themselves to be moved away from sound doctrine. Notice the writer says here, do not be led astray by diverse and strained teachings. It is good for the heart to be strengthened in grace. He is saying where you are today, remain in the grace of God in the gospel. Remain in those truths about the grace that comes through Christ. Don't allow yourselves in this context to be uh, turned back to rituals that are empty, that have no significance, that can't do anything for your soul. Don't allow moralistic teaching to take a front seat to the gospel. Don't allow anything else that clouds the glory of Christ and the grace of God in the gospel to replace the message that you have received. He says, remain. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Notice this. He says, we have a sacrifice. We have an altar and a better sacrifice upon which we feed. You know where we get grace? We get grace by feeding on Jesus Christ by faith. We remain in the grace of God by feeding on the Lord Jesus by grace and by faith. And then I want us to very briefly consider the last point here. And the writer is saying refocus. He has said remember, he has said remain. And now he is saying refocus. Notice this in verse in verse 14, he says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I think I'd lived, maybe I'm giving Harry a run for his money. I think I've lived in 40 homes in 44 years. My wife grew up in the same home in Augusta, Georgia, that her parents still live in today, which is such a weird experience for me when I go there. But one of the things that I've had to learn in life is that no matter where the Lord puts me, that is not my home. The other night, our sons were doing a geography project, and they had to to point out on a map their favorite place from where they're from. And um, Eli said, if heaven was on this map, I would put that. And I thought, man, what a fine little theologian. (laughs) Eli is. Um, Our citizenship is in heaven. And C.S. Lewis, in his uh, little essay, The Problem of Pain, he says this. Listen carefully. The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment, he scattered broadcast. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. You know, this building, as beautiful as it was, and the building that stood here before it, built in 1687, was not the home of the faithful French Huguenots that worshipped here. Their citizenship was in heaven where they are now with Christ. And as beautiful a building as we have at Church Creek, that is not our home. And it is not what we put our hope in. And it is not what we stake our future on. And as beautiful a city as Charleston is, this is not your home. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't get weighed down with all the pleasures of this city. 
Because as Lewis said, it is merely a pleasant inn that God doesn't want us to mistake for our home. The writer of Hebrews says this here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You know, the best way for us to celebrate God's faithfulness to Church Creek Presbyterian is to remember those who have gone before us, who ministered the word faithfully, who lived godly Christian lives, and who kept their focus on Christ. It is to look in front of us and say, I'm going to remain in the grace of God and the gospel. And it is to look forward and say, here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This is not our home. We have a better homeland. God is not ashamed to be called your God because he has prepared a city for you. Isn't that awesome? No matter where we are on this planet, God is not ashamed to be called your God because he has prepared a city for you. And that means whatever the future holds for Church Creek, we can go through it joyfully marching to Zion, marching to Zion, remembering, remaining, and refocusing on Christ. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do again ask that you would help us to learn from the past. We thank you, Lord, for that great cloud of witnesses, both in scripture and throughout church history. We thank you for those that came here to Charleston, for John L. Gerardo, for Thomas Smythe, for the many faithful men and women and boys and girls who have worshipped you in this city, who have made your name known and who have proclaimed your word. We do pray, our God, that you would help us to remember them for those reasons. We pray also that you would help us to remain in the grace of the gospel. And we pray, our God, that you would refocus us on the Lord Jesus and on that city that has foundations, whose builder and maker you are. So, Lord, would you do this in us, and would you use this in our lives as we press forward in seeking your kingdom to come and your will to be done? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.